Maybe patience and acceptance. And if you think that this is happening for you instead of to you, then you're open to that. And as long as something is happening to you, you're in the mindset of a victim and you're just looking for stuff to blame and you can't ever grow from that mindset. Right. And what we often ask people to do, John, is to you start to think, well, gee, what you think of everything that I can't do rather than things of what I can do. Changing, changing that mindset, changing that perspective. So I'm sure that you've seen uh, one of my tattoos that says abracadabra. Uh, so when you think of the term abracadabra, what comes to your mind, John? Um, magic. Obviously. Yeah, making something appear. So actually, it, it comes from the Bible's Jesus time. It's Aramaic. And what it translates into roughly is, I speak what I create, I create what I speak. So we're talking about changing the script in your head to create something other than things that lead you into not good places. I think that whatever we focus on, we see more of in the world. Now, the world is so big and vast that our senses can't possibly take everything in. Mm -hmm. So we're all just experiencing reality through our own filter. So whatever we choose to focus on, we're going to see that. I love the way you talk, John. I love the way that you use that word choose. Yeah, it's absolutely a choice. And I don't want to discount that people are going through serious hardships right now because they are. Yes. And so I don't want to make light of that. I don't want to make light of the fact that people, and I've made sacrifices, but I'm fortunate that my sacrifices are minor compared to some of the other people that are right here. I mean, there are local business owners in Pittsburgh who I know who are worried about whether or not they're going to have a business, you know, and people who are worried about whether or not they have the ability to feed their families. So the, those are serious real problems, but at the same time, you know, we focus on what we choose to focus on. And I see a lot of generosity in the news. I see a lot of people reaching out and I see a lot of selfishness and it's easy to just fixate you know, to watch politicians and say, oh, they screwed up the handling of this. They're so selfish. Um, they're so arrogant. And I just think if you focus on that, then you're going to see more of that. As much as you focused on what other people are doing right now and how you think they're screwing this up, then that's going to be the reality that you see. You know, you're going to go to bed a very unhappy person if that's what you're focusing on right now. Which isn't to say that the politicians and their leaders need to be exempt from criticism. It's just that we uh, we can choose to focus on that. We can choose to get upset about these things, or we cannot. At the end of the day, we've got pretty limited ability to change that. Well, yes. And uh, Marcus Aurelius, the Roman Empire, the Stoic philosopher, said life is in two columns, things I can control and things I cannot. I, I would say the list of things that I can control really only has one item, your attitude. Well, sometimes, John, I'll ask people if they're looking to be offended. When when somebody wants to constantly criticize someone, uh, I, I often wonder what their agenda is. What I've found in my experience is that we criticize in others the things that we don't like in ourselves. And yes. if, if you're criticizing someone else, if you're lashing out at them, and saying, oh, you did this, you did this. The implication is this is a bad person. 
And the implication is, I'm not like this person. Mm-hmm. If we criticize them, we can feel better about ourselves momentarily when we direct it outwards towards them. But it's only momentarily. And so I think I touched on this before, but I found that if you stop criticizing other people, you get to stop criticizing yourself. If you accept other people, you can accept yourself. You know, as frustrating as this is, and I'm human, I get frustrated with people. I mean, I'm frustrated that I went out in the hall and had to ask someone to be quiet because I'm taping right now. Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated about that. That's, but if we say to ourselves, everyone is doing the best they can with the tools they have, and they're doing exactly what they're able to do at this time, then it gets easier. And to extend that, if I think they're doing the best they can, how can I be mad at someone for doing whatever they're able to do with the tools they have? And I believe that's true. And this doesn't mean that we give everybody a license to do whatever. Uh, people who hurt other people, there still have to be consequences. I'm not saying that we let everyone off the hook. But if we understand them, then we can respond rather than react. And we can respond appropriately um, without having to without having to carry around our emotions about being bent all day long. You know, without allowing whatever someone else does to hurt us. Okay. Because when you blame someone, I believe that blame also implies that they're you feel they're hurting you in some way. You feel that they've wronged you. If you can remove the concept of blame, if you can think of them as simply doing the best they can with the tools they have. Uh, for instance, if a small child called you a name and hits you, you probably wouldn't be mad at that child. You'd think this per- this is just a child. That's all they can do. And you would move on with your day. You know, if we can get to a point where we realize that all other people are lashing out, they're that small child, they're doing the best they can and they don't know any better. Then we can move on with our day without carrying around emotion about it and being hurt beyond the event. If someone uh, tries to hurt me in some way, then the initial event may hurt me. But after that, in my reaction, I carry that around and I continue to hurt myself after the initial event as long as I'm feeling upset about it, as long as I'm feeling wrong. So, John, I have a hunch that you weren't, you weren't born with this type of maturity and outlook. No, uh, we, we talked about it a little bit before. Let, let me just talk about really what I think was the most formative event and really changed my worldview. Oh, great. A couple of years back, I was engaged. Uh, this was to someone I had known for a long time. And they asked me to move to L.A. with them, and I accepted. Obviously, moving to L.A., driving across the country with your alleged true love is a very romantic idea. Uh, I spoke to someone afterwards. It's maybe one of the most seductive seductive and romantic ideas you could have. It didn't work out. We didn't get married. We We didn't drive across the country. Now, following that breakup, I was in a very bad place, and I would wake up every day and not know what to do with myself. And so I would... I knew I needed to do something, but I, I really had no idea how to move forward. So I decided that 
every time I woke up, I would do one of a couple different things every day. I would go to a 12-step meeting, and it wouldn't even necessarily be for a 12-step program that I thought I personally had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I agree with you. I think it's a worthwhile program. And even if we don't have a drinking problem per se, we can still go to a meeting and apply the philosophy and there's plenty of lessons. And when I didn't know what to do with myself, that was a great thing to do. Or I would go to religious service, or I would do some sort of self-improvement activity, like exercise, or go to the chiropractor, get a massage. I would do one of those things. And one of the days I woke up and I went to a talk by a former Zen Buddhist monk who had spent 18 years in a monastery where he had taken a vow of silence. Mm-hmm a gentleman named David McKay. And when I saw him in front of a group, he, he wasn't the most dynamic speaker. And to be honest, I was feeling sort of sick and I was having trouble focusing. Um, I know it's amazing that a guy who didn't talk to anyone for 18 years wouldn't be a dynamic speaker in front of a group, right? Even though, you know, I was having trouble focusing, his story seemed interesting to me and he seemed interesting. So I gave him my contact information and we started speaking on a weekly basis. He's not from Pittsburgh, by the way. He was just passing through, and uh, he did a lecture while he was here. And so I'm going through this time where just all my plans have been blown up. I plan to move, my plan to get married, all gone. And didn't know what to replace it with. So I call him, and we start speaking, and I remember one of the things that just really changed my way of thinking about things was he said to me, you know, your plan, if you had, if you'd done everything you thought you were going to do, if you moved across the country and everything went off without a hitch, it still wouldn't have happened the way it happened in your mind. You're still telling yourself a story about what it is. And this really blew my mind, this idea that, uh, what he meant by that was, yes, I could have moved, but, you know, we might have ended up in an apartment with a mold problem, and we might have gotten in fights along the way. So just the reality won't measure up. Getting everything you want isn't going to measure up to what you think it's going to be like in your mind. So... Uh, I realized he was right, that even if I'd gotten what I thought I wanted, I wouldn't have gotten it, because it doesn't exist. And uh, just by focusing on this and setting this plan up, I was creating a, a situation, a mindset, where I was focusing on something that would never exist. Even had we got married, even had we moved, even if I was speaking to you from an apartment in L.A. right now, it wouldn't have happened the way it happened in my mind. It's unobtainable. And so that was really just a really groundbreaking moment in the way I thought mm. about things. At that time, I realized that we can set these goals in life, even if we achieve them. And you hear interviews with uh, famous people, successful people. And sometimes they say that, well, uh, you see rich rock stars who still have, uh, you know, substance issues and broken marriages who have everything that you think a person would want and they're still not happy. Just being introduced to this concept really convinced me that happiness is a choice that's internal 
and nothing on the external is going to produce it. You know, you could take an unhappy person, you could set them in a mansion and give them 15 Ferraris and they'd still be unhappy. Of course, sure. They might be excited for a week, maybe a month, maybe a little bit longer, but then the novelty wear off and they go right back to their baseline, whatever that was. So I'm, I'm grateful to, uh, David McKay and, uh, his book is called The One Open Door. You can do a, a Google search for The One Open Door and then McKay, M-C-K-A-Y. You can find his website and his book. So if anything I've said resonates with people, um, he's someone who's had a profound effect on my life. And he expresses a lot of the ideas I'm expressing to you, he's expressed to me. Now, I have my own experiences and I'm not speaking totally in line with him, but he's been a very influential person on my thinking. Well, we're hoping that everyone out there, and it sounds to me, John, like uh, perhaps you have mentored a few people in your past. It gives me pleasure to just be able to pass on things that have helped me. I, I appreciate everything that David and everyone else who's been a teacher to me has done. And... Um, I just like to pass that on now that, and that benefits me far more than the person that I'm helping because not only does it help me, you know, examine myself and figure out what's worked for me, um, but also the the four noble tr- truths of uh, Buddhism. The fourth truth is that we can find contentment in life by service and giving to others. I've completely found that to be true. Absolutely. And you mentioned a number of enhancements to your life. You particularly mentioned 12-step recovery. And one of the misconceptions of people is that 12-step recovery is about stopping drinking alcohol or drugs or tobacco or gambling or any of those. Over 100 groups use the 12-step program. The the 12-step program is about a change in your thoughts and about a change in your actions. The, the The only step that mentions addiction is the first step. And then it gets to work on you. Twelve steps. Uh, the twelve step program is a discipline, much like uh, much like any Buddhism or any type of uh, path that you choose to follow. Uh, a design for living. It's uh, it's certainly. I would, of course, I'm. I have to give this. Uh, I have to be transparent. I'm extremely biased according to uh, when it comes to the twelve step program, John, uh, and. I think everyone out there knows that. But I'm glad that you you have an open mind, and we call that a beginner's mind, in order to uh, see what can. And what you're talking about is avoiding contempt prior to investigation. What I found in regards to addictive behavior is that I think it's relatively easy to stop the behavior, be it drinking, drugs, gambling, whatever. Um, alcoholics quit all the time, right? They might quit 20 or 30 times. Quit a thousand times, sure. Uh, quitting's not the issue, but the harder thing is uh, examining the behavior that led you to the addictive behavior in the first place. And I believe if you don't do that, and it, that would involve, like you said, it a change in thinking because you've got to you have to figure out why you thought this addictive behavior would benefit you when it truly wasn't. So that's the hard thing. Um, Plenty of people quit drinking. Sometimes they replace it with uh, religion, promiscuous sex, gambling, whatever, but they quit drinking. 
But until you examine the behavior and what you were trying to do, um, that's really the harder thing. And I do, I do agree with you that the 12 steps are geared towards that. At the same time, though, people with uh, serious drug and alcohol issues, they need to quit the behavior because in some cases it's life-threatening. Well, of course, the physical aspect has to be taken care of it before other measures uh, can be effective, John. However, this, this is one of the reasons, and I speak at a lot of rehabs, is that sometimes what they do is tr- just treating treating the alcohol, treating the drug addiction, it's it's treating symptoms, okay? And it doesn't treat what uh, what drives the behavior. And I, I understand the difficult situation that of the limited amount of time that inpatient rehabs have, but we lo- we liken it to uh, blowing smoke at the first floor window when the basement's on fire. So we, we have to get down into the basement and find out cause and effect. Exactly. So it sounds like you've had an elect. Speaking of electric guests, it sounds like you've had a uh, an amazing interest in. And, and curiosity. It sounds, John, like you're a lifetime learner. Um, as I said at the start, I mean, the more I learn, the more I and and I've gotten older. So as you get older, you realize there's a lot of things you can't do. And um, I guess the older I get, just the more I realize there is to learn, and the more things that I can't do. So I just want to keep progressing and learning while I still can. Well, a number of years ago, John, uh, we had a kind of a little surprise thing for one of our older members. She was celebrating 50 years of sobriety. And I remember they asked her, her name was Theta, and they asked her, Theta, what would, what, what, what's one of your wishes? And her wish, John, was to remain green and teachable. Remain green and teachable. That's a good wish. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, it's been delightful having you on, and we'll certainly uh, would like to have you on again, John. Uh, and I, you're a man of many skills, and I understand that uh, there is a song that you'd like to perform for us. And could you give us the introduction to what this song is about, John? Uh, sure. So the song I'm going to play is Tahitian Moon. It's by a group called Porno for Pyros. And the guitar player in this band and myself both had the same kind of cancer. Um, I had, we both had testicular cancer. He was He's a little bit older than me, and I think he was older when he had it, too. I think he was in his late 20s or so. And um, so we've, I wrote him and we discussed that, uh, you know, it sucks to have that in common, but it gave us something to bond over. And um, what may be of interest to you, particularly with the focus of your podcast, is when he had cancer, the band was initially going to take a break, and then he recovered. And he also had some substance issues. So I, I believe he took a look at his life, and he decided to not go back out on the road and not be a rock star anymore. He, he still plays music. Okay. Um. But he didn't go back into that situation, and he used um, he got sober, and he speaks about recovery and counsels people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, besides having those things in common with him, um, the song actually that I'm going to play 
uh, Tahitian Moon, the narrator of the song, is out looking for a friend um, who is lost on a surfing trip. He's in a boat. And the boat capsizes. And it's night. And the narrator of the song, he doesn't know if he's going to drown. He doesn't know. He's, he's away from the shore. He doesn't know if he'll be able to make it back or not. And he thinks he may die. And he looks up and he sees the moon. And he takes pleasure in the moon. And he enjoys the moon and the sensation of being in the ocean. And uh, the song is really about being in the face of death and still uh, finding pleasure in what's around us. Hmm. So it's a great song. And I really resonate with the message. And um, Pete, thanks for helping write this song. And hey, I hope you're well and look forward to when we can both play in front of people. Under the Tahitian moon, 
you so much, John. I didn't know you could rip it up like that. Well, we've reached the end of another podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, questions, criticisms, please respond to the show. Uh, we appreciate, we appreciate, we we appreciate all your contacts. And if you happen to have a recovery story that you'd care to share yourself, welcome aboard. And as always, at the end of every podcast, we offer a free prescription. Fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television, and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself. Do a kindness to another. Forgive yourself. Forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.